0: Side Hustle Show 176, freelance transformation from $300 technician to $20,000 consultant. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality, because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to The Side Hustle Show. Great program for you today featuring Matt Inglot. He's a Canadian entrepreneur who's gone from, in his words, success to... Failure to success again. He calls the journey his freelance transformation. It's taken him from doing $300 website building projects to serving as a consultant on $20,000 plus projects for high value clients. Now, several people have reached out and requested to hear Matt on the show. So, you're going to hear how he decided what service he could offer, how he landed his first clients, and ultimately how he turned his high overhead local agency into a lean, mean, location independent consulting machine. You find out more about Matt's agency at TiltedPixel.com. They build websites, which I know he'd agree is a gross oversimplification uh, and cheapening of what they actually do. And he's got a blog and podcast to help freelancers over at FreelanceTransformation.com. Notes and links for this one are at SideHustleNation.com slash Matt. And of course, while you're there, you can grab the free PDF highlight reel with all of Matt's top tips from this conversation. Ready? Let's do it.
1: So in the early days, I... Needed money, quite frankly. (laughs) I had... I was in university and I had just been laid off from basically like a dream job for a student. I was working part time at a high tech startup. It was amazing. And about three months into it, the, the startup kind of ran out of money, which startups tend to do. So suddenly I was living on my own and I needed to pay for all my tuition, food, rent and everything. So I had a choice to make, you know, do I go and find like a typical student job, you know, start slinging coffees, flipping burgers, what have you. Or, you know, what are my alternatives? So I happen to know how to build websites because I had built a website for a video game, like a fan site for a game called Worms. And out of that, I picked up uh, HTML and PHP and all of these technologies. So I figured, well, why don't I try building websites for people?
0: Okay, you'd built one to this point. It was just like kind of a side self taught hobby.
1: Yeah, I, I had built a couple websites, but like all for myself and for my own little projects and stuff. You know, my Worms fan site, followed by like a website for like this little hosting business I had started and a website for this little software program I was selling online. I was very entrepreneurial in high school. So, okay. <laughs> but, but these were like all my sites. Now it was like a big shift because now I'm building a site for somebody else. So what I did was I said, okay, well, I'm a web developer. (laughs) Like that simple of a decision. I'm a web developer and I just started telling everybody that I knew that I built websites there was no particular strategy behind that, no deeper thought process. I was just starting out. I didn't know what I didn't know. And that's part of what helped me succeed. I just went out there and I started telling people I built websites.
0: And when you say I told everyone I knew I built websites, was that like at dinner with friends? Was that like a, a concerted like? email effort to, to everybody? Was this like on Facebook or was there even Facebook at that time?
1: There, there was no Facebook. <laughs> uh, I got dragged kicking and screaming into Facebook a couple years later. This this was when Facebook was like underground. But it, it was all just anybody I knew. So there was two parts to it. One was literally uh, my friends, my family, my professors. If I went into a store that I liked and got chatting with the owner. I tell him I build websites. You know, if you were serving me coffee, I tell you I built websites. Like my my whole thing was, you know, if we're going to have a conversation for more than 30 seconds, you're going to walk away from it knowing what I do. Okay. (laughs) You know, so it's kind of a blanket approach. And I did make a concentrated effort to do something that basically terrified me, which was to go to networking events to like different like business meetups and stuff. And when you're like a 20 year old kid, that is the scariest thing in the world because you got all of these business professionals and everything. And Did you
0: see much result from those networking events?
1: I did. So my, my first website was a $300 project and it was just pure chance. I was at one of these events. I was talking to somebody that wanted to make a present uh, for his sister and she had a jewelry business. So he paid me $300 to build a website. I gave $100 of that to my friend to design it. We were both equally naive on pricing strategy. Okay. And I kept $200 for, for myself to code it. And that was my first entry into website development.
0: I imagine you've raised your rates a little bit since then, but I really like you your point about talking you know it starts with your personal network and same as this podcast like the guest started from my personal network and spidered out hey who else do you know and the more you put that word out there which is scary to do and kind of getting over that shift of you know building stuff for yourself versus building stuff for somebody else and attaching a price tag to it like I think when we were talking offline I had gone down a similar path and had you know quoted even gone to the whole extent of like a couple phone conversation quoted this project for um, actually a home builder and I built side hustle Nation. I mean, it's all theme template driven, you know, on WordPress now. But I built half a dozen sites like for myself. I could probably do this for somebody else too. And then kind of got cold feet on it. It was like I, I don't know. Like for some reason, I was just not really excited about it, and didn't have the confidence, I guess, in my ability to to do it for somebody else and in charge of money for it. So, but that wasn't that wasn't an issue here. Or maybe you had a little more hunger behind it.
1: Oh, I I had a lot of hunger behind it, but you know, confidence is a key thing too. And at the beginning, honestly, you know, unless you're one of a few people that are just naturally confident, you got to fake that confidence. I hate to say it, but that was absolutely true. It's it's kind of like going to the dentist or something else you don't want to do. You you just kind of have to do it anyway, and then you realize, okay, maybe that wasn't so bad. And I've interviewed over 60 successful consultants now, and one of the takeaways for me was that starting small. starting with lower price projects starting with your own network is actually a very legitimate way to get into it because people get tied up into like okay to start I got to create a blog and a Facebook page and business cards and all of this other exciting stuff and have a content marketing strategy whereas if, if you're just starting out just start simple and get going And you're actually going to be a lot further ahead than getting yourself tied up and trying to like build this big business right away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't need business cards. I don't need a website. That's how it went for uh, my wife and her photography business. It's just like, okay, we're going to build a portfolio doing work for friends and family, and then then we're going to go charge some paying customers with an ad on Craigslist.
1: Totally legitimate way to start. I mean, I I charged $300 for our first website. My rates kept going up. And I mean, now basically $20,000 minimum for us to have a conversation about a website.
0: Wow, that's, that's pretty good. So before we have made that transition from technician to consultant, you know, what other ways were you marketing that business in that growth phase to, to kind of scale up to that $20,000 price point?
1: Sure, so the networking did take me a long way. I was very persistent with that for a long time. Now my business is run entirely remotely, so I no longer go to local events and things, but I have a huge online network now. But the other thing I did that worked extremely well and actually still seems to work to this day is if you target clients locally, local SEO is honestly a gold mine, I'd say in the vast majority of places because the thing with local businesses even apparently in the case of web development companies is unless you're like somewhere like new york or toronto or just like this major metropolitan center most local businesses are just not that great at local seo meaning if you actually invest the time to learn how to do it and then you do it let's say every three months go through like the local seo checklist and do all the things you're supposed to do, like get reviews and get listed in directories and tweak your title tags and so on. It's not actually not hard to do then you're going to gradually go up on the rankings almost guaranteed. And that's what I did persistently. And after about six months of effort, it started paying off. And then for the whole time that I had my business in the town I was originally from, we were just killing it in rankings. Like sometimes we would have four listings on the Google homepage because you have your local results, you have your organic results, you have Google ads. And then we had a YouTube video that was ranking very well. And so a fair bit of business also came from that. And again, that was nothing special. It's not like I'm an SEO wizard. I actually strongly dislike doing any sort of SEO. But I just put in that persistent effort of maybe four hours a month and it paid off hugely. That's something that I think is still something that's overlooked.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're spot on on that for a lot of small towns or even medium-sized cities. It's still low-hanging fruit. And if you can get your on-page stuff Done well with you know your title tags and your image tags and in getting those directory listings or those citations, like you said, that's a really cool opportunity. And it's certainly for the photography business. It's like Bryn you know, spent a couple of days researching you know what it was going to take to you know optimize the site for local SEO, and within a couple of weeks of that, they were on the first page. Um, so uh, absolutely a, a cool opportunity. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. On that front, if you are in a big city, would you target like a neighborhood of that city? So instead of like New York, you know, web development, would you like do like Midtown or would you do like, you know, Queens or would you, would you do like
1: some subset of it? I probably wouldn't, not for web development, because I kind of have doubts that that is how people actually search. I think they probably search New York web development. But you know what, there's a flip side to it. So if you're in a place like New York that's really a huge hub, especially for the marketing world, I mean, there are going to be basically 24-7 endless opportunities in terms of networking events. You can go to people that you can meet, uh, agencies that you can talk to who could give you work. So, yes, I mean, it's a little more crowded. But because it's a little more crowded, I'd say the opportunities actually multiply. It's just... In that case, I'm not sure if local SEO would be the best for you. That said, I had a guest on recently who did kill it in local SEO in New York by complete accident, so it it can happen. I just wouldn't count on that as a strategy. Where I lived, it was a population of half a million people.
0: Okay, that's still a good, I mean, that's a big town.
1: It's a city, for sure. It doesn't have to mean like a 30,000 person town. In fact, if you get down to like a 30,000 person town, your challenge becomes there's probably not bigger businesses in that town to target. Yeah,
0: play the game; you can win. Um, if it's if it's too competitive, you know, try a different angle. Absolutely. So what happens? So now you've got. More listings on the homepage of Google. You've got, you know, these clients coming in. And what happens next?
1: So I get it in my head that I have a successful business and I open an office. And this is still while going to school and taking like a full course load and everything. I open an office and I hire a full-time developer. And basically, like I think it was like a year and a half, two years later, I decided that office wasn't big enough. And I got a bigger office and I hired more developers. And I started really believing that, you know, I was successful and that I was growing this big business. The mistake that I made, though, and it, it did all come crashing down on me, was that I never really got the fundamentals right. I had all these leads coming in, but I never really figured out who we were targeting. And I never really figured out how to sell a website for what was real money, like, uh, $5,000 for a website sounds like a lot of money until you've got office space, overhead, you're paying for really good developers and so on. Then $5,000 for a website is not good money. And I never quite made that leap, and I never made that leap to understand how I can like bring on recurring clients. So what ultimately happened was, uh, basically, I realized I had this business that wasn't really moving. So I really dove in and decided, OK, well, I got to cut out all my expenses so this thing just doesn't run out on me. And I got to figure out how to actually run this business as a business and not just pretending I'm Donald Trump or something. And that's where all of my, I feel, real growth came in, where I realized, OK, the fundamental fundamentals of, you know, who is it that we're targeting? How do I keep selling to clients? How do I turn a lead into a $20,000 project that then becomes a $100,000 relationship? These are the things I finally sat down and figured out. So if I if I wanted to, I could go back right now and start an office and do it successfully. But now I actually love my life as you know, having a really small operation where I've got a few contractors and myself, and that's it. And that's actually better than office space and everything for me
0: yeah i think you did you did a lot of things right and you did um, in your mind a couple things wrong and, and one of those mistakes was building a lot of overhead into the business and say you really value the location independent lifestyle you really value kind of your your time freedom was this a shift would you call this like productized consulting or would you just call this like hey we're going extremely up market now
1: Extremely upmarket, and you actually kind of hit on two lessons there: uh, one was that overhead was basically killer because once you have overhead, I mean you need to get a certain amount of work every single month, and if you are doing you know consulting work and it's not highly recurring, then that becomes a problem. but the other thing you hit on is the fact that i hadn't even figured out what I want to what I want my life running this business to look like. And like you mentioned, it turns out that I actually highly value my freedom, my independence, my the fact that I can travel at a moment's notice. And that's something an office space would have never given me.
0: The other thing I think you did a good job of was removing yourself from the deliverables from from the very early days. Even you know, from hiring your your buddy to do the design for a hundred bucks. Like that was all that was kind of built into your systems. Like, okay, I'm gonna be the front of this, I'm gonna be the the sales engine, but I'm not always gonna be the hands-on guy doing the work.
1: Yeah, surprisingly, that was something that I did well from the start because I originally had that idea of, I really want to build a big business. Because the town I was in, it, it was a very strong startup community there. like Waterloo is basically like Canada's little Silicon Valley. So it was kind of ingrained in my head that the only way to run a business is run a big business. So I did think about processes and so on.
0: So here's the problem with raising rates. And you have to start low to be able to raise rates, right? And I'm curious because everyone gives the advice, oh, just double your rate. And the fear is, well, no one's going to hire me anymore. But my other question is, like, do you have to go through that grind to build a portfolio to realize like it's time
1: to raise the rates? You know what? I'm still trying to figure that myself. Do you have to go through that grind? I really don't think so. You could, especially if you have some experience under your belt, start charging fairly premium rates right away. I know this because I've interviewed guests that have done exactly that. But I don't want to paint that as... A requirement. I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong from just deciding to get started and to try it, to dip your toes in the water and realize that you're going to make mistakes, you're going to undercharge. But then how can you take what you've built, this little starting point, and quickly grow it? So like in terms of raising rates, for example... There's basically two ways to raise rates. One, you raise your rates because you realize that you're full, and that means you're probably undercharging, (laughs) which means you can just simply probably double or triple your rates overnight and you might get less work, but you'll end up making more money. But the other point is eventually you do hit a point with raising your rates where you start realizing, okay, I have to approach projects differently. I have to work with my clients a little differently, and I kind of have to transition from just being someone that takes orders from a client, you know, I want a website that has this and this and this on it, to being more of a consultant, an advisor, and being the one that says, okay, client, you're trying to solve increasing sales. Here's what a website that Increasing sale that increases sales will have on it, and that's when the magic really starts.
0: And then it, you kind of transition to value based pricing, right? Like if this is going to result in a hundred thousand dollar increase in your business, and you know a number of guests have said this. Well, and you know, 20 grand to build it is a no brainer.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of become one of my secrets with running my agency is now I filter my clients heavily and I will only work with those clients that stand to gain a lot from working with us. So if I think we can generate those kind of returns because, you know, we're going to build a website that's going to have a high impact for that business. Then that's the kind of client I want because they're not going to blink if the website's going to be like 20 grand or 50 grand or whatever it may be, because it's very easy to create a business case for doing the work. Whereas if a local restaurant wanted to hire me and I told them their website's going to be 20 grand, you know, they're they're probably You know, they're either politely or not so politely going to tell me to go away because, you know, if I can build a 20 grand website for them, and it's going to be amazing. But it might not generate 20 grand worth of value for them.
0: So do you think that people like just starting out, like, could I go out and pitch like a $20,000 job without going through that whole like portfolio building process? You know, I think it's as much a confidence issue as it is like um, a value issue or a sales issue. You know, we've talked to people who have, you know, charged $250 for an article. We've talked to people who really command premium prices, but it seems like there was a process to get there. They didn't, just you know, stick their flag in the sand and be like, well, take it or leave it. This is my rate.
1: Right, well, it depends how you go about it. If tomorrow you decide... You know, I'm going to go and try to pitch a $20,000 project, but I'm not going to bother to read any materials on this or talk to anyone that's done it successfully, it's going to be a tough road for you. Maybe still doable, but a tough road. Whereas, for example, if we decided to get together and work together for a month, I could definitely get you in a month pitching a $20,000 project. Because there are very specific things you need to do in order to get to that point. And there is no reason why you have to spend five or ten years, you know, making all the same mistakes and making all those same realizations the slow way, whereas you can, you know, just learn from the people that have already done it.
0: Fair enough. Uh, one of those specific tactics, I imagine, is on that client selection front. So you want to walk us through kind of your, your, your criteria and looking for a high value selection. And This will apply across uh, web development and, and pretty much any other Uh, type of freelance relationship?
1: Absolutely. So you want to find clients that I call high value clients. And I even have a checklist for this on my website. So there are basically a few things you want to consider with the client. The first thing we had already talked about was just making sure that the client is going to get a lot of value out of working for you. I kind of use Five times as much value as a benchmark. So, if I'm selling a $20,000 website, I'm not going to sell it if I don't think the client's going to get at least $100 worth of business value out of it. So, more sales or cost savings or something like that. But there are other things you want to consider. Like, you want projects that are high priorities for that client. You want projects that stick to a narrow focus for you. So, you know, you said you build websites and you build WordPress websites. I don't want to see Nick waking up tomorrow and deciding to take on a Joomla project just because he thinks he can. You probably can, doesn't mean it's a good idea. It's it's much smarter to do a lot of similar work so that you can kind of reap the benefits of doing the same thing over and over.
0: So you're kind of talking along those lines of niching down of saying, okay, I'm going to serve this particular industry or I'm going to sort of like build this particular type of site. Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Niching down by specific industry or specific problem that you solve is even better. People oftentimes make the mistake of niching down by technology you know, you could say I'm a WordPress developer, but a technology is a tool. Whereas if you really focus down on a specific problem that a business has, or even a specific industry right away, it becomes much clearer to you where your clients are, how you can find them. And it also makes it much easier to stand out amongst all the people that just call themselves a WordPress developer.
0: Right, right. I don't don't care what you use to get the job done. This is what I want at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and it's Quite frankly, the people that have the biggest checkbooks and the biggest checks to write to you don't even know what WordPress is.
0: No, that's a really good point. I don't care. Yeah, you're using InDesign. You're using whatever whatever tool. Doesn't really matter. Like this is the deliverable that I'm after.
1: Absolutely, and this is the big expensive problem. That we're solving. So for example, e-commerce site, they want to get more sales or people are abandoning their shopping cart half halfway through the checkout process. Those are expensive problems. If you can solve those problems for people, who cares what tech you use? And I actually just built a tool for this, by the way, oh. <laughs> good uh, good literally, literally uh, last night. It's at freelancetransformation.com forward slash find your niche. Oh, nice. It's just an online tool. There's, there's no like sign up required or anything. And it's just you select your skill set, the general type of business you want to target. And then it's going to let you like build out like what problem are you solving? There's a ton of expensive business problems in there and how exactly you're solving it. And it's kind of fun. It's a good exercise to really kind of get your brain juices flowing. Very cool, thanks, Matt. We'll link that up in in the show notes for sure. Cool.
0: The next thing is like for these big value clients, these big dollar clients, like do they care that you don't have an office now? Or they don't care that you're world traveler and and not always on email all the time?
1: No, they don't care. <laughs> some of them, I don't think even know that we don't have an office. Uh, It it just really doesn't come up. So one insight I got was actually from my accountant, because what I noticed with my accountant is anytime we needed to meet about my financials, he always offered to come to my office. And I realized right there, that's actually part of the service that that accounting firm offers is they come to you. You don't have to go and drive out to their offices. So a light bulb went off. Wait a minute. Why do I have an office? So then I started going to people's place of business instead of having my own. We make house calls. Okay. It's 100%. Like, it's the easiest thing to do. If you don't want an office and you don't mind targeting local businesses, just go to their place of business. And honestly, nine times out of 10 the whole idea of you even having an office will not come up. And since then I've transitioned to completely remote and there's, you know, there's some more advanced things with working completely remotely, but that's just a simple hack. Just go to their place of business and you're set.
0: For these high value clients, I imagine nowadays they're finding you But in the early days of this transition, were you like making proactive pitches or were you bidding for jobs on pork or something like that?
1: So everything I built up, I built up through my network. So I was definitely pounding the pavement. I didn't have a network. When I say my network, I didn't actually have a network. I had to engineer a network for myself because I was a 20-year-old university kid, you know, and yet when you, you know, if you fast forward it like 2 years later, I had quite the LinkedIn profile built up and everything. That was just methodically meeting people. I never used job boards. I found a couple of contractors through Elance, but which, which is now like Odesk, which is now Upwork and whatever they're going to call themselves tomorrow. But I, I just never got into that. I have had guests on my show that have done that successfully, but I just never felt the need to do it. I'd much rather find the businesses that I think I can do a lot of good for and speak to them one-on-one and talk to the owners or the decision makers, create a conversation about you know what are they struggling with and connect that to how I can help them versus looking at a job board that might have, you know, a thousand listings at any given time. And oftentimes what people think they need isn't actually what they need. So it it just seems like a harder way for me personally to go about it. But again, some people have had success with them, so I'm not going to knock it.
0: If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time Uh, recruit team members to do some of the nuts and bolts of of delivering this client work.
1: I think the best way and the way that has worked for me that's actually how my entire team has been built now is again through networking. Like the more people you can talk to the more you can build your network the easier it is to find people who are really talented because here's the problem the people that are really talented they're not just you know they're they're not probably on Elans looking for work all the time they're busy and, and that's kind of the key catch is if they're busy, they're not actively shopping. Therefore, just like trying to find employees, the trick is to figure out who knows them and who knows these rock stars rather than trying to find them online because oftentimes they're not there. There are a couple hacks, though, like uh, if you are looking to hire offshore and there are some caveats with that because now you've got language barriers, time zone issues and so on. You can sometimes find really good people on job boards, but you can also find really good people in that country's local job listing. So for a while I had an amazing Polish developer and I found him like through I think a local job board in Poland that was all in Polish and everything. And I had to use Google Translate and everything. Uh, (laughs) But like, you know, they're they're looking for jobs in their country, but Thanks to the internet, they can work from anywhere. So I basically just offered them the equivalent of like a full-time Polish salary, and that actually worked out really well.
0: Okay, that's it. That is an interesting hack. Do you ever worry? Like, so you're you're kind of targeting these companies for ongoing engagement. Are you always the point of contact with the customer, or do you have them communicate with their developers at all?
1: I am always the point of contact. At one point, that wasn't the case. I had a project manager, but again, making some realizations about what I actually enjoy about my business and what I want to do with my business. Right now, I am the current point of contact. And right now, I don't plan to change that. I don't plan to grow the agency much bigger. And I love my clients. I love communicating with them. And I think being the point of contact is the most important part of a relationship. Like how you communicate with your client determines probably more than the actual work, almost how they view your work, how they view that relationship, their willingness to keep working with you. And it's also the world's like greatest upsell opportunity. Like the way I turn $20,000 projects into $100,000 relationships is all communication. Whenever I talk with my clients, I'm finding out what are they struggling with right now? How is their business going? And so many times I've just learned how to connect the dots to, hey, you should be doing this or you should be doing that. And next thing you know, that's an extra several thousand dollars that we wouldn't have had. So I don't want to delegate that most important part of that relationship away. And if I ever got to the scale where I did, uh, that person uh, would either have to become a partner in the business or they, they would basically just have to be like, a rock star project manager or client relationship manager from like some agency that's like just really killing it in client relationship like I I feel so strongly that is probably the most important part of the business right now
0: yeah each each touch point becomes uh, another relationship builder or another opportunity to learn more about their business for them to you know be impressed with you and your communication and your work uh, I think that's that's pretty smart. Keep that keep the hell on in-house.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I don't want to have to keep taking on new clients. So would I rather sell 10 times as much work to one client or have to get 10 new clients? I mean, the math is just amazing in terms of selling to existing clients. And I think it's the biggest mistake. Even freelancers that are basically starting out make is they'll do a project for a client. And they'll basically just toss that client to the curb. Whereas that really should be the start of a much, much bigger relationship.
0: Uh, Matt, really interesting stuff. And uh, I think you definitely need some food for thought for everyone to, to think about. Well, actually, I'm curious, what, what's a typical work week look like for you now? How many hours you
1: put in? So my agency probably takes between 20 and 30 hours to run, depending if it's a busy week or if it's a slow week. Uh, And so I basically divide my time in half between running the agency and then running freelance transformation. So on a given day, I might be managing client projects and doing sales and stuff like that. Or I might be interviewing awesome freelancers and writing freelance content or doing something like building that niche finder that I built yesterday for the heck of it.
0: Cool. Well, Matt, thanks so much for joining me. It's freelancetransformation.com. And if you want to check out his agency, it's tiltedpixel.com. Matt, let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation.
1: Pick one group of people, one group of businesses that you want to target. You're not married to this group. You might decide that you hate working with them, but like, just start serving someone concrete. Don't say, I build WordPress sites for small businesses. A really quick hack in positioning is to just go and pick some industry. So for example, home builders and focus on building websites for home builders. In six months, if you find out that was a dud, no problem. But that is the fastest way to figure out an addressable market. So a market where you know you can actually pick up the phone, go to home builders and start dialing, or go visit their offices, or go to home builder associations, or go to networking events that are gonna have home builders there. Like just narrowing that Focus down gives you amazing clarity in terms of trying to find where the heck these clients are hiding. That's a great niche, by the way.
0: You know, sell sell one extra house, what's that worth to them?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, I have a home builder
0: client. I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect, Matt. Thanks so much for joining me, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks for having me, Nick. So, my top takeaways from this call with Matt number one, inventory your skills. When Matt lost his job, he took inventory of what he could do and As it turned out, he had the very valuable skill of building websites. But even if you don't, the takeaway for me was that he built those skills on his own time. He was self-taught working on his own projects and that's something that anyone can do. Number two, it starts with your own network. And what I mean by that is for each person you tell what you do, think of it this way. You're not just telling that one person. It's like you're telling their entire network too because all of a sudden if somebody asks them for help in a particular area or they see a need for your service, they they know a guy they know you and they can pass along an intro. Number 3 was to look for clients with a big upside. So Matt said he tries to deliver 5 times value, 5x value, but I heard others say 10x or even 20x to make it an even bigger no-brainer for clients to say yes, right? So if you can get potential clients to see the return on their investment, like they're not going to spend that money unless they see that return, especially business clients. Like if they can see that return price is no longer an issue. If you like this chat with Matt, grab the free PDF highlight reel with all his top tips at side slash Matt. And that's it for me. I'm about to go on a recording rampage the rest of this month and hopefully build up a queue of great episodes for you. So if there's any particular topics you'd like to hear covered, shoot me a note. It's just Nick at side or Twitter works too. I'm at Loper, N-L-O-P-E-R. I want to thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Until next time, let's go out there, make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com.